0: We've been singing about um, being like God, that we want to be like God this morning, and I pray in this passage that is what we will, we will see. We see who God is, who he became, and then who he became again, what he was uh, restored to. As Jeff said, we're in this, um, this passage of Philippians, uh, we're in the book of Philippians, and this morning we're in, uh, in Philippians 2, and I'm just going to read that uh, to you again. So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Philippians 2. to your own interests but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself We often read that in victory, we often read that, don't we, in at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and how true that is, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and in heaven and earth and under the earth, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that day is coming, that day is coming. But want to look into how that happened, how Jesus was exalted, what happened to bring Jesus to that place where he was exalted once more alongside. God. So we're looking at this passage this morning. We're starting, obviously, at the the beginning, beginning of of chapter 2, and it says, therefore, therefore, which tells us we need to be looking at something else other than what we're about to read. Therefore, so in light of this, in light of this, so this is the start of a chapter. So what do we need to look at? Well, we need to go back. In light of what? We need to go back to the previous verses. And this is what Jeff was preaching from last week, this living a life worthy Of the gospel. Last week, Jeff looked at living a life worthy of the gospel in in verses 27 to 30 of chapter 1. It's a life that involves standing firm, a life that was lived in one spirit, people striving together as one for the gospel. It was heavy on unity, on standing together and doing things together. Paul's plea is for a togetherness, for a unity, both in living for and promoting the gospel. And we're to do that in unity. And Paul's plea continues here in chapter 2. It goes on to say, if you have any, which we do, it <laughs> says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit. So there's a qualifier here. If you know these things, if you experience these things, then I'm going to ask you to do something else. But let's, let's look at those a minute. If, do you have encouragement from being united with Christ? I do. I have encouragement from being united with Christ. Do I have comfort from the Father's love every day? Do I have a common sharing in the Spirit? Do I have a common spirit with you? Do you have a common spirit with me? You know as I was preparing this, I was thinking, I wonder what it would look like if the Holy Spirit was red. If you could see a redness within you, a holy Spirit that was in every one of us here that knows Jesus. And that almost like a a tendril coming out up to, to heaven, that we are all connected in one spirit. We are all connected here. We are all one family. We have the same spiritual DNA. We are connected. We are together. And Paul says, if you have these things, and interestingly, it's being united with Christ, having comfort from his love, the love of the Father, and a common sharing in the spirit, there's the Trinity right there. This is a Trinitarian plea Paul is saying, if you know these things, if you're aware of these things, then do the following. And then he asks us, he lists some things that he wants us to do in in verse 2. He says, by being like-minded, by having the same love, by being in one spirit, and by being of one mind. Paul, again, is laboring this unity. If you want to live a life worthy of the gospel if you want to see things change, if you want to bear these burdens, if you want to face this persecution, then you need to do it together. There needs to be a unity here. You need to be together. These four things are positive for unity. They increase unity, being like-minded. I assume we're all like-minded. We're all here for the same reason, the same person this morning, having the same love. We've all experienced the same love of Christ, which is why We're here and why we love God, but all in one spirit, as I've just said. And Paul says again, being of one mind, be thinking the same things. Thinking of God, focused on God. Unity is key here, he's saying. So why is unity so crucial? We've said that it it promotes the gospel. It is good for the gospel and good for facing our trials. But Jesus said this in, in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we want to live a life worthy of the gospel, we need to love one another. The world needs to see that we love one another with the love of Christ. That's how the gospel becomes worthy. That's how the gospel spreads because they don't see a fractured church, they don't see a church separated by its differences. They are a church gathered together in unity because of their love for Christ, because of their one spirit, and because of their same mind. Live a life worthy. Of the gospel. Unity is crucial for the promotion and integrity of the gospel. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hammon were falling on Mount Zion, this refreshing dew in the dry desert. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Where there is unity, the blessing of the Lord falls. When the blessing of the Lord falls, everything changes. Unity is so important. And so Paul says, do these things for a life worthy of the gospel. He says, be like-minded, be of the same love, be in one spirit and be of one mind. Paul says, do these things to be worthy of the gospel. But then he's going to say, "And, and don't do these things. So, do these things, but don't do these. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of vain conceit. Selfish ambition. That's pretty much the world as we know it. Selfish ambition. Kill or be killed. Get to the top. Climb that greasy pole. What's in it for me? I'll do it, but what do I get out of it? By all means, I'll scratch your back, but you're going to have to scratch mine. Selfish ambition what am i going to get out of this it's the world that we live in and paul says you know 2000 years ago and now nothing has changed people are in it for themselves don't but don't do anything out of selfish ambition don't do that paul also goes on to say don't do anything out of vain conceit vain conceit is like a like an empty glory it's like a a, a painted china doll with nothing inside And when you just it falls over, it cracks, and there's just nothing left. It looks great on the outside, but there's nothing on the inside. Don't do anything out of vain conceit. Don't promote yourself. Don't, don't pretend that you're better than you are. Don't be like a Pharisee that, that look wonderful. Everything is imperfect. Everything looks great. They say the right thing at the right time. But actually, there's no substance. Don't do those things. So be unified, like-minded, same love, one spirit, one mind, but don't. Get involved in selfish ambition. Don't let it be about you. It's not about you. And don't do anything out of vain conceit. These things are negative for unity, they erode unity. When we are selfish, when we puff ourselves up, it destroys unity. So Paul says, don't do these things. But he goes on to say, but rather, instead of doing these things, rather, instead, in humility. And he's going to give us some other things to do. But what is humility? What is humility? What is humility and what is it not? Do we really know what humility is? I've done that up too tight. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility... It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is the shift from being selfish to selfless. That's what humility is. It's moving from a place of it's all about me to a place of it's all about everybody else. Humility isn't self-deprecating. It's not putting yourself down. It's not pushing yourself down so you look lower than others. That's, That's not what humility is. But it is okay with being last. Humility is okay with being last. Have you ever been in a McDonald's queue, a drive-thru, and you have those two lanes, and you get served, and the person in the next lane gets served, and they, they start to move, and you start to move? I was here first. I'm not letting them get in front of me. We have those experiences a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> but there's this innate thing in us that I deserve it. I got here first. But no, humility is allowing other people to go first. It's not being afraid. To be last. You think queues in general, you know, if if you're quintessentially British or if you've lived in this country for a long time, you know that queues are next to godliness. (laughs) It's our national sport. You look at the Winter Olympics, we've won just one gold medal. You know, there was fear we wouldn't win anything. We need to get queues into the Olympics and we will smash it every time. There's something about our culture that says we have to queue. We have to queue. But don't be afraid to let someone go in front of you. We've all done it. We've all been in a queue and someone's cut in. If you've ever been to America, that don't cut the line. But people do it. People will cut the line. But don't be afraid to be last. Is it going to change your life, the fact that they've gotten the queue before you? Probably not. Humility is not being afraid to let people go before you. It's being not afraid to be last. It's kind of the opposite of this missing out. Humility is not looking for credit. Humility doesn't look for credit. It's okay to receive it. So if someone gives you credit, receive it. Take it. It's okay. That's fine. Humility is not looking for credit. So when somebody tells you that you look great today, don't be all bashful. Kind of, thanks. Okay, oh, thanks. I'm, I'm lovely today. You know, quite often if if, uh, if we're preaching, I'm sure Jeff guesses more than I do, but that was a wonderful sermon this morning, Jeff. Thank you very much. There's that tendency to, as a preacher, to think, oh, yeah, it was God. Thank you, God. But actually, you've done a good job. Jeff does a good job. So when people say to me, you've done a good job, you should accept that. I've, I've done a good job. Yes, God enables me. Yes, the Holy Spirit anoints the words that I speak, perhaps. But I've worked hard at this, and I've done a good job. So humility is not dismissing credit, but it's not looking for it. Don't look for credit, because that is pushing ourselves forward so no that's what humility is it's not this put yourself down feel lowly oh I'm not good enough it's not about that it's about putting others first and Paul goes on to describe this in verses three to four he says in humility value others above yourselves he says don't look to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others now I want to look at these these three things briefly in verses three to four like I said it says value Others above yourselves. You know, I was speaking to somebody at um, uh, the Connect lunch last week. Was it last week? Oh, it's been a busy week. <laughs> yeah, last week. And I was speaking to somebody and chatting away. And, um, and, you know, I knew that they'd been away. And they said, oh, yeah, I was away. And I was on a missions trip. And I managed to, um, to train 20 other surgeons. And I managed to do, well, we managed to do over 100 operations. And they've, that's changed. Well, he didn't say this, but it's changed people's lives. And I remember sitting there thinking in all of this guy, thinking, oh, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like that. And then realized that God's not called me to be like that. God's not called me to do that. But this guy, I thought, you're just so amazing and so awesome. But humility doesn't work like that. Humility isn't, oh, you're so much better than I am. It doesn't work like that. It's not about praising other people to put yourself down. That doesn't mean humility. There could be people in here. In fact, I know there are people in here with PhDs. You know, they, they speak words that I have to look up. You know, they're really, really smart. But humility isn't looking at them thinking, oh, they're just so amazing. I wish I could be like them. That makes me... No, it doesn't. That's not humility. Humility is putting other people first. There's another lady in church. I won't say who she is because she'll die of embarrassment. But she runs an interest group. And that's what it is. It's an interest group. It gathers people together. And she's a really busy lady, but in her own time, someone moved cities and she went out of her way to make sure they settled in a church in another city. There's someone else that has real struggles and she's taken time to signpost them and to walk alongside them and say, if you need my help, I'll do that for you. It started as an interest group, but she's humble enough to put other people's needs before her own business and her own needs. And she is incredibly humble. Paul says, don't look to your own interests. You know, I've said this before, I think. (laughs) Um, But at home, we have a busy home. You know, we Kate and I foster girls, and our home can vary between 7 at home and 11, depending on what time of the year it is. Um, And it can be really busy. And it involves a lot of running around. It involves a lot of sacrifice. It it just does. But that's what we do. But I remember feeling at one time, like, I was having a real case of the the Poms. You know, the, the poor old me's? I was having a real pity party. It was just like... You know, God, I was literally crying out to God, I am sick of this. I am sick of coming last. Nothing I say matters. Nothing I do matters. No one else tidies up. I have to do it all. I am really fed up of coming last. And in a heartbeat, this voice from within said, do you really expect it to be any other way? Wow. (laughs) And it really taught me a lesson. It really taught me a lesson. That's what humility is. It's putting the needs of others Above your own. Now, I really want to state this, that it's not being a doormat. It's not letting people walk over you. It's not letting people abuse you or use you. That's not what humility is. Humility is your choice. You're in the control of humility. It's your choice to do the right thing. It's your choice to put yourself last. It's your choice to put the needs of others above your own. But that's what true humility is. But each of you to the interests of others, Paul says, in humility... Each of you look to the interests of others. I want to tell you a quick story of um, when I was on submarines, when I was in the, the Navy. Um, we were coming back in off a of patrol, and there's a certain piece of work we have to do. There's lots of things we have to do as we come back in. And, uh, and there's one piece of machinery. It's, it's down in a, in a well, and it's really quite a specialist piece of machinery. It's not allowed to get dirty. It's not allowed to get wet. Um, and one of the jobs is to check this valve line up, and we need to suck anything that is down there. We need to suck it out. Uh, and get rid of it. So, it's my, my task, along with one of the other uh, juniors, to, to set this, uh, this line up and make sure that we're sucking the water out. So, we line it up, and I say to him, you know, are you sure you've got it right before we start the pump? Yes, it's fine. So, we do that, and we, we start the pump, and I look down into the well, and we've got the stir of water. That's it. It's moving. It's being sucked out. That's fine. So, as I always did, went away and had a cup of tea, but then I had another one, and another one, and another one, and then the flood floodline went off uh, in this pump well, and my life kind of Anyway, it froze. (laughs) Um, So I went to check it out, and what should have been empty was now full. Um, And it didn't go down well. It did not go down well. Um, I knew that the next few days for me were going to be very difficult, (laughs) that I was going to face up to the fact that I'd let everybody down. Um, It was not good. Anyway, the the officer in in charge, the officer at the time, was a a friend of mine uh, called Gaz Ward. He used to come to this church many years ago. Uh, He's he's now moved on, but he was the, the officer in charge at the time. And um, he just—he didn't say anything. He just looked, and that was enough. He just looked—the disappointment, the kind of "I can't believe you've you've let this happen." Um, but at that moment, as we were coming, I had to go and do something else. At one of them on the rolls, I had to go to the other end of the submarine and do, do some other training we had to do before we came in. So I, I managed to disappear for a couple of hours uh, with this this burden on me of this this well full of water that it shouldn't have been. Um, it was bad, it was bad, but anyway, I came back, I came back from doing this firefighting, still dejected, still really heavy, and I walked through, uh, through, over the reactor, through the the tunnel, and um, I saw Gaz, he's called Gaz Ward, as as soon as I walked through, there he was stood, and I said, mate, what has happened to you, because he was a Christian too, and he, he got me through that patrol, we used to read the Bible together, we used to pray together, and I looked at him and I said, "What has happened to you?" He was his white overalls that were absolutely pristine were now covered in black and brown smears, absolutely covered. And he just gave me that look. <laughs> okay, so I walked past. I went down back down to the pump bar thinking, "Here we go. I'm now going to have to get a team together. I'm going to have to explain to them that I've messed up. It's my fault. But guess what? You're going to have to help me to sort this out." But I got down there, and it was done. It was just done. It was sorted. So this this officer of the highest position, had decided to do it for me. He got into that pump well. He got everybody to empty it out. He got the rags. He got his overalls and he cleaned the whole thing. And it absolutely broke me. And I just couldn't understand why he would do that for me. But he did. And that was true humility. Despite his position, he put my needs above his. In humility, humility is putting other people before yourself. So Paul moves on to tell us how. How do we do this? It's all about telling people, be humble, do things in humility, be united, get together in unity. But how? How do we do that? Well, the unity is sorted out with the humility. If you put the needs of everyone else above yourself, unity just happens it just happens think of the, the trinity the trinity was explained to me I may have read it but of, of three people in continual deference to one another it's like going through a door and saying no after you no after you no after you after you no after you constantly putting the others above themselves continually and that's almost like how the, the trinity works is continual deference and that's what brings unity it's not about me how can I help you so Paul goes on in verse 5, verses 5 to 8. He tells us how. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset. Here we have it again, This same mindset. We've heard this already, haven't we? Be of the same mind, the same mindset. Be like-minded. Well, now it tells us what that mindset is. Be in the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We all need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Whatever we do, we have the same mindset as Christ But we're going to move on and see what that is. We need to follow the model of Jesus. And it says, it goes on to say, Jesus who, being in very nature God, he was God. He was God. He didn't consider equality with God. He didn't consider his position something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm God. You lot have got a problem. You've got to sort it out. He didn't use his position To get out of it, he didn't use his position to not get involved, to not help all of us, to help mankind with their problems. Instead of using his position, Jesus chose to go from the highest to the lowest, from Lord to slave, from King to a servant. See, no matter who you are, what position you hold, what ministry you lead, the length of your faith, the amount of people you've brought to Christ, we are all called to be humble. Valuing others above ourselves. That's what being like Jesus is. It's putting others above ourselves. He goes on, rather, or instead, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Everything we read about Jesus tells us that all he did was for others and for God. That's all he was ever interested in was other people and God. In John 5, it says, By myself, this is Jesus, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I'm here to please God. I'm here to do God's will. It's not about me. It's about God. In Mark 10, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Jesus knew where this was going. He knew that by humbling himself, he knew that by becoming human, by emptying himself of his divinity, by by doing that, he knew where this was headed. He knew he was headed to the cross. This was true humility. The King of the world, the King of heaven and earth, was emptying himself for us to help us. He knew where this was headed. Verse eight: And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I thought about this, what even death on a cross? Why this even death on a cross? We see the Philippians, 2,000 years ago, this colony of Roman soldiers would not have been wearing gold crosses around their neck. It wouldn't have been their symbol. Because back then, the cross was shame. Back then, the cross was reserved for the lowest of the low, for the, for the murderers, for the thieves, for the sexual predators. It was, the, it was a bad end. This was a shameful end. Not just a death, execution, but it was a shameful end. And this is what Paul is saying to these Philippians. Even death on a cross, even the cross that you know is reserved for these types of people. Even death on a cross. He humbled himself that far. But he was obedient to death. See, here we see the ultimate humility of Jesus. Now as a man, but still as God, he humbled himself, emptied himself, and was obedient to death. You see, humility requires obedience. Obedience to the knowledge that there is an idea or a passion more important than your needs or desires. You need to be obedient. You need to choose to be humble. You need to choose to do it. The work of the Spirit works in us. The fruits of the Spirit abound in us. When we allow God to work in us, humility is a choice. I must choose to be humble. And Jesus was obedient. Jesus put the needs of the world above his own. Humility also requires compassion. I talked earlier about the way we live our lives, the way we view people. If we're going to be humble, we need compassion. Why is that person behaving like that? Is there a reason they behave like that? Are they broken? Have they just had a row with their wife? Have they just lost their job? Have they just had some bad news and they're in a rush? Is that why they're acting like that? That's humility. Humility requires compassion. You know, perhaps what they're doing is a result of something beyond their control. Perhaps what they're doing is, is more important than what I'm doing. Perhaps they've been through something that's far worse than I have. It's putting the needs, the potential needs, of others above your own humility requires compassion jesus did the same with us he showed us compassion they can't do it they can't do it they can't love god like they should they can't own up to their mistakes they can't pay their debt because they're fallen because they're broken he showed us compassion and he chose to put his needs Sorry, our needs above his. Jesus knew we were incapable of righteousness. Incapable of loving God back the way he loves us. He knew we couldn't beat sin. So he sacrificed his own position and even his unity with God. For the needs of others. For you and for me. What was the need that we had? What was our need that was so great that it had to eclipse the needs of Christ? We needed to pay the debt of death for our sin. Every one of us owed a debt. And Jesus said, I will pay it. I will humble myself and I will pay it. It reminded me of the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus says to God, is there any other way? Is there any other way around this? God says, no. And Jesus says, okay. Then I'll do it. If read the verses. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He has compassion for us in his humility, and he has obedience in his humility. Compassion for us and obedience to God. Later we read, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, so unless I do it, may your will be done. Obedience and compassion. He had compassion on us, every one of us. Every one of us. And obedience to the Father, because there was no other way. This was true humility. So what was the result of Jesus' humility? What was the result of what he did? You see, his humility, his obedience and his compassion brings us to a place of unity. It could bring us to a life worthy of the gospel, like his life is worthy of the gospel. It brought Paul's joy. Paul asked for his joy to be complete, for the Philippians to show this level of humility and unity, that the gospel would be rampant and that souls would be saved. And I'll ask you this morning, do you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? As we were worshiping, I've just had this sense of, of sometimes, you know, we want to be great. We want a platform. We want to do amazing things for God. And part of it is, that I want to do that. I want to be involved. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you need to be humble. You think of people like Billy Graham. You think of people, we saw the song of the witnesses this morning. You think of Billy Graham, you think of Ronald Bonke, And you think of the people around them that say they were just so humble. They were just so humble. It starts with being humble. If you want to serve God mightily, if you want to see things shake in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to see souls saved, if you want to see the people around you take interest in this Jesus that you talk about, we need to be humble. It starts with humility. If you're looking for the way up in the kingdom of heaven, it's down. The way up is down. Jesus said to his disciples, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. They were arguing about who's going to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Christ. He said, that doesn't matter. The first will be last, and the last, they will be first. Be humble. So what happened, this result? We read in verse 9. Therefore, we have this therefore again, in light of this. So therefore, in light of what? In light of what Jesus has done, in light of Jesus' humility, in light of him entering himself, in light of him sacrificing himself, then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus' humility didn't lead to reward. This wasn't reward. It led to a vindication that what he had done was the right thing to do. That what Jesus had done by entering himself was displaying the character of God. It was obedience to the will of God, the humility and the compassion towards us that showed its equality with God. That is what had happened. Gordon Fee writes this, This exaltation, this passage we've just read, this exaltation is not to be understood either as a reward for Christ's previous action or as an assertion of his victory over the powers, though that stands. Rather, it asserts the divine vindication of Christ, enticing himself, and humbling himself in obedience by dying on a cross. As God's yes to this expression of equality with God, God the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. You see, the title was always his. Jesus always was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He always was the word of God. Through him and by by him all things Were made. That is who Jesus was, and that is who Jesus is. But he said, I will part with that. I will part with all of that for these. I will part with everything I have, every position, every power. Take it because I love these people. You know, I wanted to show it, but I was worried about copyright. I don't know if any of you have seen or can remember Superman, Superman 2, the old films. There was a time when Superman had fallen in love with Lois Lane. And he really loved her. But he came to the conclusion that he couldn't carry on life as Superman. Jesus came to the realization he was going to have to not be Jesus, the son of God, for a while. He was going to have to give some of this stuff up. And Superman's mother says to him, you do know what you're giving up here. You're giving up all your power. You're giving up all that you are. You're giving up your family. You're giving up everything. Are you sure you want to do this? And Superman looked her in the eyes and said, But I love her. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was going through his mind was, But I love them. I'm going to have to give up everything. I'm going to have to give up. (laughs) I'm going to have to give up being with my father. I'm going to have to be separated from my father, but I love them. And that's what he did. I love them. And so he gave up everything he had for you and for me. And for everyone that's gone before and everyone that will come after. He gave it up all for us. And you know what? This is what waits for us. The Spirit himself testifies with our God that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I want to say to you this morning, if you want to be like Christ, be humble. If you want to be like Christ, be prepared to give up what you have for the benefit of others. This is Paul's message to the Philippians. If you want this gospel to abound, If you want to build up treasure in heaven, if you want to see souls in heaven, if you want to see this world changed, be like Christ. Have the same mindset as Christ. Be the same as each other as you pursue the mindset of Christ who did this. Christ's mindset was them first. Christ's mindset was, I need to save these people. They can't do it. Christ's mindset was, I will give up everything I have for them. Are we prepared to give up what we have For the eternal lives of others? Are we prepared to put ourselves last? Are we prepared to put our needs behind the needs of others? Are we prepared to show the world who Christ is through our humility? So, this morning I'm going to leave you with this. We need to be like Christ. Christ calls us to be like him. If we're saved, that's salvation. What comes next is sanctification, which is being like Christ, being made more and more like Christ. And we can choose to be humble. We can choose humility. But humility leads to unity. If we are all humble, if we all show each other humility, we would be pulled together in unity. And when we are in unity, we are living a life worthy of the gospel, Paul says. And if we are living a life worthy of the gospel, Not only does it give Paul joy, but it gives God joy when we are living a life worthy of the gospel, when we live our lives together in unity and the world looks on and thinks, I want some of that. Why is it they are living this way? Why are they able to live this way? Why is it no matter what they face, they stand together? Why is it no matter what happens, they stand together? Why is it when one of them suffers, they all suffer? Why are they willing to suffer? Why are they willing to do this? It's because of Jesus, because he did it first. He suffered, he died so that we might live. Are we prepared to give up something so that others might live, so they might come to know Christ? Now I'm just going to ask, I'm, I'm finished, but I'm just going to ask, perhaps there's people here that, that have not met Jesus yet, and perhaps you've heard about him this morning, perhaps you've heard a little bit a little bit different about this character of God, the one who would give it all up, the one who would stop being God for you and for me. So I'm going to ask you, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you in a moment to, to give him a chance to come into your life and to change it forever. And it may be that you need to come back to Christ this morning. It may be you need to make a, a recommitment. Maybe there's been some selfish ambition. Maybe you've, you've put your own needs and your own things first. And not thinking about what God would want us to do. Perhaps we're not looking at one another the way we should. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that you know you've got the ump with. You know you're not happy with. Maybe there's something you need to seek God for. But I'm going to ask if, if you want to know this Jesus that gave it all up for you. Because he loved you. then I'm going to ask you to, to say a prayer with me. And perhaps that's you online as well, wherever, wherever you may be. I'm going to give you this opportunity now to, to meet with Christ and to ask him into your life. So just say this, this prayer after me. Father God, I'm sorry that I've not always recognized who you are. I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the things that I should have done, but I haven't. I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I thank you that you gave up your life for me. I thank you that you separated yourself from your own father for me. I thank you that you want to forgive me. I thank you that you love me. And Lord, please come into my life. Come and live in me. Come and show me what life is like with you. Amen, oh amen. If that was you this morning, if you i 've been compelled by the Holy Spirit to give your life to Christ to ask for more, then please come and see me afterwards, please come and come and see me if that 's you online, then then get in touch with the church. go on our website, tell someone what you 've done, and someone will be in touch i 'm just going to ask the band to uh to come up uh, as we as we head towards the end of our service, and I just want you to think this morning, just dwell on. What Christ has done for you. On the humility that he showed you. The compassion that he has shown you. The obedience that took him to that cross. Are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to be humble for Christ? I remember last week, Jeff was talking about, I think it was Jeff, was talking about Alpha. You know, we ask someone to Alpha and we might get a bit embarrassed. And we might get a bit shy and a bit awkward about talking to someone about about coming to Alpha. This is not about guilt. This is about example. Paul's not saying you should feel guilty about this. He's holding Christ up as an example. He's saying, look what happens when. Look what happens when you are humble. Look what happens when you put other people first. You know, I am moved so much by what Christ did for me in his humility. Now, I wonder if we acted that way towards one another. If we acted that way to the people outside these four walls, these people in our Work context, perhaps in school, in college, in our day to day lives, in our clubs, wherever it is that we go, if we behaved in a way like Christ that put everyone else before us, we might see a complete change. We might see a revolution. That's what God came to do. See, when God came, when Jesus came on earth, the Jews were not expecting a servant. They were not expecting someone that would put them first. They were expecting someone on a horse with a sword that would come and annihilate their enemies. But that's not the way God works. He didn't cut down his enemies. He cut down himself. So are we prepared to follow in Jesus' footsteps? Are we prepared to put other people first? Because when we treat people like that, when we love people like that, their lives will be changed. Because that is the message of the gospel. The gospel is a God, all-powerful, almighty, who emptied himself of his divinity, who became nothing, who became like you and me, so that he might save us. And through that, he was restored to glory, and he is exalted. And his name is Jesus, the name at which every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you be like him this morning?